Thank you so much. As I told the first service, it is such a joy to be here uh, with you, but also with live worship uh, and the sound. Guys, thank you so much for your help this morning. Uh, but I've been at a place where they had three services on a Sunday morning. They had musicians. They had paid people that would come in and lead songs and all of those things. And once COVID started, it was uh, down to one service, a broadcast, limited amount of people there. But I've been working with Alexa. And there's nothing like leading a worship service when you're having to say, Alexa, wake up. And then you begin to play through a speaker and hopefully it shows up. So that is just a joy uh, to be here this morning. Uh, I hope you've come with, with expectation. But let me read from John chapter uh, 3. The first seven verses will jump right in. It says, how great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because they don't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has yet to be made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And everybody who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that you might, he might take away your sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Let's ask the Lord to open our hearts this morning. Father, we come before you and we just delight in you. We thank you that according to your word, you are with us even now. I thank you for every person who has come. But I recognize preaching is a momentary event. But Lord, I believe as your Holy Spirit moves in us and on us, it can touch our hearts eternally. Father, I ask that I would become less and you would become more. Because we have come to worship and hear your words and not our own. Lord, would you come now and minister as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message, uh, Have You Heard What the Father Has Said? And one of the reasons I was telling the first service, and I'll tell you how this all sort of started, uh, when I was doing Easter services this year, and again, we all know the story, you know, the empty tomb, the crucifixion, but one of the things the Lord really pointed out to me over and over, and I've still been wrestling with it since then, is the angel's response. And if you remember the story, uh, first the women come. And they look inside, and, and, and in fact, they're worried about what the stone, who's going to roll away the stone, and, 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 and they look up and see those angels. And their f- first response, at least the angels, is, why are you here looking for the living among the dead? Don't you remember what Jesus said? And when the disciples came, you know, that race, and, and they get there, and again, the angels are somewhat shocked and surprised. They finally say, come on and look, he's not there. Don't you remember? Don't you recall? And since Easter, I've been sort of wrestling through this idea. I wonder what the conversations angels must have when they see us. Because their response on Easter morning was one of shock and wonder. Didn't they listen? Don't they know? Didn't they hear what Jesus has said? And so as we look at the scripture, and I think even before we get into the scripture I'm going to be preaching on today, we need to stop and just sort of take a few moments And really acknowledge that a lot of us live with caricatures of who God is. You know, the mental images of what he is like or how he responds. 
I know for some of you today, you may look at God and think of him as this kind sort of grandfather in a rocking chair that doesn't really keep track of a whole lot of things, but he, he he's a nice person. And some of you have a very different image. It's more like the Lincoln Monument where uh, we've all seen that as kids. You know, Lincoln is on his uh, marble throne looking out way above us and not really paying attention to what's going on. For some of you, it's the mechanic who is basically keeping everything going. And, and I think those are the things that we sometimes think about. For a lot of people, those images may not come to mind, but you have this idea that if we're going to have a relationship with God, he wants us to be perfect. And until we're perfect, until we work really hard, then, then he isn't really that concerned about who we are as people. And I think one, as being in ministry for 30 some odd years, one of the things that strikes me, that's oftentimes the things that I hear. You know what, pastor, when I get my life together, in fact, I was telling the first service a couple of times I've heard, when I get my life together and I'm perfect like the rest of the people in your congregation all show up, and I told them I sort of smile at that and don't even comment because if they only knew we're far from perfect. Or, or, or some of us, uh, we, it's, it's, it's all about the rules. And, and for a lot of us, even though we accepted Christ as our Savior, as an act of grace on his part, the moment we became saved, we, we've decided that we need to earn God's grace and mercy. And so we have a list of, in our heads that what we can do and can't do. And I can remember growing up in a Christian home, uh, one of the things I was taught at an early age, I was probably six or seven, and the things I heard is we don't dance and drink or chew or go with girls that do. Do you remember that type of list-keeping type of activity? I, w- I was telling the first service that I can remember I was five or six years old, and I was actually out on my bike, uh, riding my bike on a Sunday afternoon. We'd come home from church, and uh, I was just riding in our driveway, not doing anything crazy, not jumping off of any ramps, none of that stuff. And the neighbor called up and talked to my mom and said, I didn't know Christians were allowed to do stuff like that on Sundays. You're supposed to honor God. And I can remember as I pulled my little bike uh, into our garage, I came through that garage door, came into the kitchen, my parents looked at me and said, from now on, you are not allowed to ever ride your bike on Sundays. We're going to honor our neighbor. And I'm not sure what it did honor, but I can remember Sundays got a whole lot more boring. And yet the scriptures say, In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we're going to be looking at those for just a couple of seconds. We see something, glimpses of something more. Our relationship with God was never meant to be earned or tried for. It was never meant to be a prid quo pro type of uh, uh, arrangement. In fact, one of the reasons I asked, or I didn't ask, I didn't even send these scriptures to be put up on the board is because I simply want you to listen to them and hear what the Father is saying. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, the word of God says this, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that you may know that this love surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If we could simply grasp the love of God and recognize that we could be filled to the full measure of God. Or Zephaniah 3.17, I'm sure a lot of you read that even this week. 
For the Lord your God is living among you. For the Lord your God is living among you. Just imagine if we began to believe that idea, that right now the Lord God was walking in our midst. And he is a mighty Savior. And he will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears and he will rejoice over you with joyful song. Man, maybe this afternoon, just grab hold of that verse and just imagine what that must have looked like and does look like. Or Psalm eighteen nineteen, He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Psalm 149, 4. For the Lord delights in his people, and he crowns the humble with victory. Each one of these scriptures give us a fresh glimpse of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It tells us what his original intent had been. A Savior who longs for the very best for his people. So let's look at 1 John 3 again. And I just wanted to remind you before we jump into the scripture what was going on, because at that point in time, there was uh, divisions within the church. There were schisms taking place. There was a group of false teachers that had come into the church, and, 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 and that's what Paul was sort of dealing with. It was called Gnosticism. Uh, I could give you a list of probably 14 or 15 things that this group believed. They didn't believe Christ came in a bodily form. Uh, they, they didn't believe that you could become a child of God without some secret knowledge that these false teachers would impart to you, uh, oftentimes for a price. Uh, they also began teaching this idea that as followers of Christ, you could live any way you want, and it really didn't matter because the body was evil, but it was only the spiritual that counted. So just do what you want, and, and, and there are no consequences to those things. All of those ideas are false, but often we believe in good-sounding false lies, don't we? And that's exactly that was taking place in that early church. And so John comes and he begins to share some rock solid truth that I hope we will have ears to hear this morning. And he begins in that very first verse. If you want to look at it again, how great is the love the father has given to us. And he begins and and, and notice the word, how great is his glory? How great is his strength? How great is his sovereignty? How great it is. Grace, how great is his power, his wisdom, his truth, his mercy, his control, his honor, his forgiveness. Is that the way that verse starts? No. I I mean, I think he could have used all of those words if he wanted to. But John says, how great is the love of God that he lavished on us. And as I was telling the first service, I had to look that word up because this is not a word that most guys ever use. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, this last week I was at a friend's house and he had two really beautiful Harleys sitting there and he had just got one back and it was gorgeous and chromed out. And I said, man, you have lavished that Harley so much. Do you think I really said that? No guy in their right mind is going to say something like that. So I looked the word up. It means sumptuously rich, elaborate, luxurious, to bestow something on someone generous or extravagant or gratuitous. It's over the top. 
And John is saying that the love of God is over the top. And as I was thinking about examples of what that looks like, how many of you have ever gone to a great steak restaurant? I mean, it's a beautiful place. The atmosphere is great. And you remember you finally order your steak and it's that either that prime rib or that New York strip. And it is beautiful and wonderful. Then they look at you and say, would you like a baked potato? And then they look at you and say, do you just want butter on it? Or... Do you want butter and sour cream and wonderfully crisp and bacon bits and little green onion on top of that? Is, is that what you're looking for? And depending on how much money you have in your wallet, because like those potatoes are like 15 bucks, you either decide to go with the butter or the over-the-top potato. But on those special occasions, you say, I want it all. Cover that potato with all the good stuff, Right? Only I think that way? You guys are way too serious. It's over the top, isn't it? When you experience all that you've ever wanted in a steak dinner. But, but most of us, more often than not, just sort of put our heads down and go, no, I'll just, I'll just have butter and salt and pepper, that's okay. But this isn't that type of thing. This is an over-the-top expression of God's grace and love. A couple of years ago, Joyce and I went on vacation and we got to rent a car. And it was, I was sort of really excited about it because we rented what was supposed to be this really hot sports car. And I can remember we got in, it was in Vegas, and we got there and we got our car and I got in it and we were taken off to the Grand Canyon and I thought this is going to be fun. And we jumped in and I hit the gas and honestly, I think I could have run faster than the car. Because they didn't tell me that the car we rented was the base model of the sports car, which meant I'm thankful it had an engine in it at that point, but there were nothing left. So often we live our lives on levels, and there's the base model, and then the medium model, then there's the sports edition. And John is trying to say right here in a roundabout way that the love of God has been lavishly poured on top of us, and it's over the top. It's extravagant. It is just mind-boggling rich. But I want you to hear something else. And it goes into the next part of this verse. And, And one of the things that struck me as I was preparing for this message today, this is something I hear all the time. Uh, where I work, we, I hear it uh, probably every couple of weeks. Someone says, well, you know what? We're all children of God. And we hear lots of leaders say that. Well, you know what? We're all children of God. And we sort of just hear that and, and don't ever think what Scripture says. Because that's not right. That's not even true. What the Word of God says is that we are made in the image of God. We have His stamp of designership on us. We're made in God's image, and that's a wondrous and powerful and amazing thing. And, and that really should knock off all the racial decisions that, and divisions that is going on in our country right now. Because anybody that you come in contact with, no matter where they're from or what they're doing or all that they've experienced, they themselves are made in the image of God. But a child of God is given by the Lord himself. A child of God is bestowed upon those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Through the cross, Jesus paid your adoption fee. 
And when you accepted his offer, you were given a new identity and a new title. And the word of God says right here that you and I are called children of God. You are sons and daughters. And John repeats it. It always struck me interesting that John would repeat that. Why would John have to say that over and over again? He says, you're children of God. And then the next sentence, he says, no, right now, you are children of God. And that's an incredible thing. If we would just believe what Christ said, I believe it would transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. The Son of God died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, is right now seated at the right hand of God. And you know what the Word of God says? As He is seated there, He's interceding on our behalf. Just imagine that Tuesday morning when you go back to the work. That the Lord God Almighty has already spoken to the Father about all that you're facing and all that is going on. Do you hear that? And when you said yes to allow him to rule and reign in your life, he declares that you are a child of God. And I think we've heard that and we're too familiar with that idea. And I think the enemy comes. And says to us, no, no, you're not. I mean, I I know you. I mean, even this last Sunday, you didn't greet that person that you walked by. And man, that's what Christians are supposed to do. And I should tell you, it has been such a joy for my wife and I to be here. Because as I've gone and transitioned to this other ministry, we've been looking for a church. And I've been dumbfounded about how many churches you can walk into, sit there, and no one says anything. So you guys get like the A-plus award. Because even with the silly microphone on, you came and talked to me, which is really strange. But, but do, you, do you see what's going on here? As a child of God, you have been forgiven. As a child of God, you have been received. And you have been restored into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. As a reality. And I know even as I say that, even within Alliance churches and evangelical churches in America, survey after survey says that less than 50% of the people believe that the Holy Spirit exists or he dwells within a person. And that's from church people. And so I think that's probably why John repeats it again. Because I really don't know of one person who doesn't need to hear that more than once. That it's not about some secret, not some secret knowledge that some teacher is going to impart unto you and then, then you'll finally find that place. But John says, no, if you've accepted Christ, you are a child of God and this is who you are. And yet, Most people I run into don't understand that or acknowledge that. Then it goes farther than that, because if you look at uh, verse 2, it says, not only are you a child of God, but you have a destiny beyond what you can even know at the moment. He's saying, for those of you who are children of God, your future is far beyond what you can even think of. 
As I was thinking about that, I was thinking when I was growing up, one of the things that it happened in our house, and we didn't have dessert that often, but every so often my mom would say, keep your fork or keep your spoon, and we knew something was good, good was going to happen. And as I was preparing for this, I remembered of an old true illustration. There was a, an older lady that came to a pastor and said, you know what, pastor, I know I'm at the end of my life, but, but this is what I want you to do. When I die, and we have that viewing, I want you to put a fork in my hand. And he was a little shocked at that, to be honest with you. You see a lot of crazy things. But he said, why do you want me to put a fork in your hand? And she said, because in my family, if I was told to save my fork, I knew something good was happening. And I want everyone to know that even in the midst of death, I'm looking forward and expecting more good things to come my way. Isn't that the attitude we're called to have? And then it says, when we finally meet Jesus, we will be like him. And we will enjoy being with him. Because part of that sonship and daughtership is a restoration of our full designs and, and, and purposes. And those the people are sitting next to you right now are going to be your brothers and sisters. But we are going to be sons and daughters. And one of the things the Lord has been impressing on my heart uh, really for a number of years now is that most of us have this idea that, you know, when we finally get there, when we stand before him in the throne room, we're going to enjoy his presence. But the word of God says that he enjoys our presence even now. Just think about that for a few seconds. What is your, what is your image of God? Do you recognize that, that he delights in who you are? I was telling the, uh, the, the first service, one of the neat things that happened in Joyce and our life is we now have a granddaughter. And on my daughter-in-law's 30th birthday, you know, we all showed up for this great big party and Elena came out that door. And I just sort of watched it and I have a tendency of just sort of seeing things like that. And she came out the door. No, she was in the side yard on the swing. And, and, and Joyce got out of the car. And, and it was an amazing scene because she looked up and said, Grandma, and put up her arms and started running toward her really, really quick. And it was amazing because Joyce did this. And just turned around. Do, do, do you think that happened? No. It was like Joyce turned into a 20-year-old again. She jumped down. Elena! And they hugged and they did this little wiggle thing and there was delight in it. How many of you have an image of God like that? When you come into his presence as his sons and daughters, how many of you are thinking God does this? Or God does this. And that's exactly what John is trying to communicate here. What if we lived in that truth? What if we listened to that? How it would change how we deal with the next section of scripture. Because remember that the second thing that, that John was dealing with was the false idea that as children of God, if you got the secret knowledge, after you had that secret knowledge, you could do and live any way you want. And living the life that displeased God or broke his heart was, was okay because it, it really didn't matter. And John sort of confronts that truth head on. 
And he talks, he says, when we finally get to meet him, we're going to be like him. And, and he's delighting in us. And he says, but if you know the truth, if you understand the lavish love of God, if you understand that he delights in you and calls you a son and a daughter, you will make every effort to live lives with purpose and in a way that, that pleases Jesus. You will make every effort to try to live a life that encompasses all that God longs for you to experience as sons and daughters. And as I was thinking about illustrations that may make some sense to you, I was thinking about my marriage. Joyce and I have been married 35 years. I always put a year ahead of it, but anyway, 35 years. And I did ask her that when I got in the car this morning. How long have we been married? Just to, just to check with her first, if I didn't want to mess that up. And we were married down at Joyceville Alliance Church. It was the first night wedding the church had ever had. It was at Christmas time. I mean, the dresses were green, right? I still remember. White dress came down, black tuxedos. It was just one of those amazing things. Candlelight everywhere. It was awesome. My dad did the service. You know, we looked at each other and all of those types of things. And we went and we had this amazing reception. And uh, in the meantime, it started to snow. So it was like, it was like the most beautiful place in the world. And finally, when I got Joyce to leave the reception, that was a story in itself because she wanted to visit longer. And I'm like, let's go now. No. Had to visit longer. And we went down to this beautiful hotel down in Pittsburgh, and it overlooked the, the, the rivers, and it was just a wonderful thing. And I can remember I got up in the morning and said, Honey, I'll, I'll be back. Last night as I was coming into the hotel, I met this young girl, and we're going to have breakfast together. And Joyce sort of looked at me and said, Oh, Okay. I had lunch with her though. So, I mean, and I took her out to dinner that night and then we were driving to Williamsburg and we got there and it was all decorated and we got in the, the bed and breakfast and it was a beautiful place. And when we got, we went, I'm trying to think probably the cost of going to Williamsburg was like nine bucks then. So we went in there and it was a joy. And, and sure enough, the next morning I got up and said, Joyce, you're not going to believe this. When we were going down the streets in Williamsburg, I met another young lady and I'm going to take her out to breakfast and, and maybe I'm going to take her out to lunch and, and then we'll have dinner together. How many of you would think that actually happened? It wasn't going to happen. It hasn't ever happened because I have this joy of delighting and loving my wife and I would want not want to do anything that would bring harm or brokenness. And if I told you that same story and said it was true, what have you what would you have thought at that moment? Either he doesn't know what marriage is about or he really doesn't love his wife. Or I know most of you wouldn't say it out loud, but you would say he's an idiot. Wouldn't you? Something must be wrong with him. He must not understand what marriage is. He must not understand what a relationship looks like. He must not understand that his heart should be to please his wife and watch over her and protect her and keep her. You would say he just doesn't get it. This is what John is saying here. 
He says, as sons and daughters of God, as children of God, our goal should be to live in such a way that it makes God smile when he sees us and knows us. And as we walk through that storms, and when we do sin and we do break covenant with him, we turn around, we repent and come back to him, and that relationship is restored. But in our heart of hearts, every single day, we get up with the thought, I'm a child of God, and that means I will live my life different from the culture and society in which we live in because I want to delight in him as much as he delights in me. And John says, you're not going to continue to do those habitual behaviors that you know is not right. And this isn't a salvation thing. This is living in a right way because it's good and righteous and whole. And, and John himself is saying, if you really want to experience all there is in life, it begins with understanding who God is. And it begins with understanding who you are in his kingdom and how he sees you. And then it begins with your hearts delighting in serving him above all else. And see, one of the benefits we have in this passage of scripture is it says one of the benefits of being children of God, one of the benefits of being sons and daughters is the scripture says that we have been set free. That we have been set free. I mean, we sing the song and we're going to close with it in a couple of minutes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now am found. He saved a wretch like me and our chains have fallen off. See, John understood he didn't want the children of God, to slide back into bondage and brokenness. And see, I think sometimes we simply need to hear that message again. Remember whose you are and remember who you are. Don't fall for the false doctrines of our culture, but begin to hear and trust the word of God. This is who you are. This isn't a feeling thing. It's a true thing. What if we began to believe the wondrous gospel of Jesus Christ? I think this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is what John is trying to communicate. Live like a child of God. Remember who you are. Every single day, get up with the attitude of, I'm going to play my position and profession and my title. And with that, a title and with that profession, there is authority and power to move forward. So right now, I want to just repeat what John said to us. As followers of Christ, who have accepted the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, if you have made that decision, then your title is a child of God, a son and daughter. You belong to his kingdom. And there is better things to come in the future. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we stand before you today, and we are amazed at your lavish love, that you would cover us, so powerfully and perfectly. And Lord, we confess to you, we have heard those words before. We're we're children of God. 
We say it so glibly, and yet our adoption fee, for lack of a better word, was your son on the cross. The restoration of our hearts came at the resurrection. And Father, you have given us, every single person here, that title as a son or a daughter, as a child of the King. Father, I ask that you would allow us to be a people, even this day, that hear what the Father has said in these brief few verses. Lord, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would not let the enemy come and tell us anything different. And Lord, for those who are sitting here today who have just sort of assumed because they showed up or they were born in a family that knew who Christ was, that means they're a child. Lord, would you restore the truth to them? That you have to accept that offer of Christ. And it begins with a simple crying out. Lord, come, forgive my sin, be my God. Refresh me and anoint me to be a child of yours. And strengthen me for life. Lord, I thank you for how you're going to move and what you're going to do in the days ahead. Lord, for those who have listened, I ask that you would put in their hearts the same things that I have been wrestling with. For the angels were amazed that none of the disciples listened. Father, would you make us a people that listen to truth and listen to your word. And that we might be able to leave here this morning rejoicing because of the the position and the title and the blessing you have put upon us to be children of the Most High God. Father, I just thank you for how you're going to work and what you're going to do. And we come before you, and I know uh, we're called to just thank you for the generosity of people giving today. And Lord, you have said that you'll even bless that as we give back to you what you've already given to us. So Lord, would you just give us freedom of that this morning? But Father, would you capture our ideas in our hearts and our imaginations with the truth of what John said, that you are a God who lavished love on us and calls us his children and his treasures. May that truth sink in and may it change us for the week ahead and in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.